looking at Isaiah 24 today. And Isaiah 24 is interesting because it's so cosmic in its scope. We kind of saw this a little bit when we were looking back. I think it was Isaiah 13 when we were looking at Babylon, how it was a very universal scope as Babylon was kind of representative of the whole uh, universe of evil, you might say. But here in 24, it's just explicitly put into these very broad universal terms, talking about God decimating the entire earth, about there being very few survivors, uh, talking about this kind of broad judgment that's because of a violation of a covenant that God had with the entire world. So what is this judgment? You know, why, why is there a judgment where it says even the host of heaven will be punished? So that's the stuff we're looking at today. And joining us here, and I guess I don't know if we have him in the studio or he's also on the phone. We got Pastor Stephen Tice, one of our regular guests from Frona, Missouri. Good morning, brother. It's uh, it's just a, a small miracle that we're able to talk to each other still despite everything. So praise God that we're still able to go forward today. Well, good morning. It is wonderful that we can do this. I was thinking about this very topic yesterday for a different reason. And I was thinking about the mm -hmm. fact that there was a time in the history of this world and in my life where long-distance phone calls were only for special occasions. You didn't pick up the <laughs> phone and call somebody unless something yeah. either was celebrating or some terrible news was shared. So the everyday conversation... Yeah from the state of Missouri to the state of California is so <laughs> ordinary, we tend to overlook the fact that it is a miracle all by itself. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's too true. Yeah, no, it, it is interesting how there are like many things that we take for granted. I mean, like we were, I mean, we were just talking about this yesterday. We were looking at Isaiah 23 and mm -hmm. talking about, you know, Tyre and Sidon and Tyre and Sidon at that time. I mean, you know, why is Tyre, you know, on the map, right? Well, because they deal in purple dyes, right? Oh, sure. Um, yeah. and, and they and they engage in international trade, mm -hmm. and that seems that seems so mundane now. It's like a, a purple clothing uh, trading internationally. Everybody does that. <laughs> yes. The, the, yes the, but the more things change, the more they stay the same. I think somebody well, once said. Yeah, that's right. No, that's true. That's true. Right? Because even though tire we saw last time. Um, you know, like that would have been something that made it unique. The idolatry of, of health and wealth is certainly nothing new and no, nothing that's... that has gone away. And so similarly here, um, you know, when we're looking at these things that, that make the world seem small and our interconnectedness, right, already here there is a sense in Isaiah 24 that the whole world is interconnected and can be mm -hmm. judged summarily by God. Yes, his his view is is universal. It does take in all of humanity, and it takes in all of the needs of humanity. And, and God being God also cannot ignore sin. It must be addressed, and he does address it. Right. And I, I, absolutely. And that's and then we're going to have a chance to talk about that. What exactly is the nature of this of this sin? Because it's not as specific as some of the other oracles that we've seen in the previous portions where it's, you know, talking about this oracle or burden um, against a particular nation because of their particular forms of idolatry and their particular violations of, of morality. But this is something, uh, well, well, we'll get into it and we'll see this in just a second. But 
as as we do, would you say a prayer for us and uh, for our connection here Certainly. between Missouri and California? And also, I'm thinking about the people up in the Northeast, who are especially around uh, you know Massachusetts and Maine, who are enduring this uh, this big uh, cyclone, um, this bomb cyclone that I've been hearing about. People left without power. That God would just take care of them in the midst of all that. Certainly. Let's pray to our Lord together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good Amen. and gracious God, your mercies are new to us every morning. Sometimes we recognize them when we arise. Other times we arise and step into them with virtually no awareness. We ask your continued presence and protection with those in need of your extended care today. We remember especially those whose lives are affected by disruption of the routine because of weather that may interfere with electricity, may interfere with transportation, could in fact put them in danger of harm. Continue to be with those in such need, be with emergency responders as well in the northeast part of our country and those around the world who encounter regular challenges because the life they are living includes danger and peril. We thank you also for the wonderful technology that allows us to converse with each other, to share your word around the world through the internet, all kinds of gifts you have given that we might put them to use for sharing the love of Christ with people wherever they may be. Bless our sharing that word today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. All right. Well, let's go ahead and read just the first three verses, and that'll kind of give us a chance to consider how this is following off, uh, following on the heels of Isaiah chapter 23, and kind of just introducing the the scene and the perspective that we have here in this this new chapter. So let's pick it up with verse one here, just the first three verses. Behold. The Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. And it shall be, as with the people, so with the priest, as with the slave, so with his master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. So in right, right away, this is not the same way that the other oracles have been introduced. You, you don't have any introduction that says something like, you know, um, an, an oracle, a Tyre oracle or an Egypt oracle with that Massah word that we've been talking about. It just jumps straight into this. And mm-hmm. it's just about the whole earth. And it's just this long description of how universal it is. It doesn't matter who you are, what your status is, how much money you have, how much power you have. There's nothing that's going to be able to stop this coming judgment. Yeah, it's just, this starts with the that word, as you say, that draws attention. Behold, Hini, God's saying, notice this. Here is something to look at. It's, it's right. a regular term used in Isaiah, but also elsewhere in Scripture in the Old Testament to draw attention that people should listen. This is important stuff. And what he's getting at now specifically is the whole earth is under God's judgment. It's not just these individual nations, communities, cities that have been previously listed as on the judgment block. Now, 
the Lord is applying his truth to all people. And the phrases, empty the earth and make it desolate, twists its yeah. surface, scatter its inhabitants. It's it's those those double phrases that that reiterate that the Lord is intentionally making this action and that he's going to do what he's done in the past, scatter people. When people right. tend to cluster right. themselves, they need to be humbled, so he scatters us. Right, yeah, no, and I was thinking about that, that, you know, as I was mentioning, the, the last time we saw something that was, like, so universal in Isaiah was um, back in chapter 13, I think, when it was talking about Babylon. And, of course, this, as you were saying, this whole idea of scattering across the surface of the earth, that language is very reminiscent of the Tower of Babel. So Certainly. there seems to be a, a connection kind of between that episode and Genesis, the, the destruction and judgment of Babylon, and then what we have here in this universal judgment. Yeah, this is, this is again, God calling all people. And then those phrases that recur in, in verses 2 and 3, but especially verse 2, everybody's included. People and priests, slave and master, the, the pairing of these seemingly excluded groups that are now all put together. The Lord is making those human lines of distinction disappear because yeah. our division, our judgment, our choices as to who's higher or lower, none of those count in God's final analysis. And so we, we right. see the Lord is doing this. The, some of these words brought to my mind what what we find later in Revelation, where it talks about a, a, a third of the earth being burned up and the land mm. being turned to, to ash. It just the first thing that popped in my mind as I read this, the earth is going to be made desolate. That is apocalyptic language repeated later right. in, in both right. Ezekiel and later in uh, John's apocalypse. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, know, the, the language, it really does, uh, it does evoke all these different sorts of episodes. I was, I was thinking one of, one of the first places my mind went when I was just reading in English, where it says, you know, the Lord will, will empty the earth. Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's striking um, from the perspective of English because of the way that we translate Genesis chapter 1, and we say that the earth was formless and empty, and so then you get this idea that, you know, so, okay, so God, you know, he forms it and he fills it. Mm -hmm. But here, you know, here's the Lord. He's going to empty the earth. It's just the exact opposite. Now, I looked at the Hebrew, and they're not the same words. I mean, they're different words for emptiness. Right. Um, but, but I wonder to what extent that's in view, that this is something like an undoing of creation. You know, I think it, it's partly tied to that, and it, it's also partly connected to chapter 25, which you and I won't get into today, but that something's got to be swallowed up. And so the emptying is necessary for God then to bring a filling. And, and right. so the contrast is there. But the, the whole idea that human beings have, have taken the earth and twisted it, now God's going to twist it again. Um, right. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's actually closer to to the mark here. That it's not so much that God is emptying it, like you know, there's nothing left now, and it's it, it's sort of like back to the beginning. It's back to like Genesis one chapter, uh, chapter one verse two. But it's more like you were saying it's it's um, 
it's like when you have a dirty vessel, right? That um, mm-hmm. I was just I was just working on, like our, our dishwasher is broken, right? And oh, so how nice! Taking it, I know, right? So it's, everything's breaking. Um, Technology. So I was like taking it. Yeah, I know, right? And uh, I was taking it apart, and I was looking at these different pieces, and I'm like, oh man, this is nasty stuff that's in here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and you empty it, right? It, it's right. that God is really emptying the earth of the nastiness that we have put in it you know all the stuff that he put in it was good right um you know the stuff that he put in to fill the earth but the stuff that we've added hasn't been so great and that stuff needs to get emptied out like the way that you're you know cleaning out a a broken dishwasher the Mm -hmm. way you got to empty out a vacuum after you've cleaned the house it's just into the trash yeah and and this is the lord's word he has spoken that the, the trash must be taken out and so he's yeah. doing it. Yeah. Right, right. So, yeah, so, so a, a very, um, you know, unsettling introduction to this oracle in the first three verses. Definitely attention grabbing with that, with that first word, beholding such, a, such an idea of, of devastation and judgment mm-hmm. that, you know, not only is it saying you know, how universal it is, but, you know, that this is God's perspective of what we've, on what we've done. It's like garbage gotten yeah. rid of. Um, and then he moves on uh, in, in verse four and you get this next section and it just becomes uh, a lot more vivid. So and there's a few metaphors here that are where we're talking about kind of centered around the idea of uh, of wine. Um, yeah, wine and grape harvest and the vine. So let's take a look at this here now, beginning in verse four through maybe verse 13. The earth mourns and withers. The world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. The wine mourns, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh. The mirth of the tambourines is stilled. The noise of the jubilant has ceased. The mirth of the lyre is stilled. No more do they drink wine with singing. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The wasted city is broken down. Every house is shut up so that none can enter. There is an outcry in the streets for lack of wine. All joy has grown dark. The gladness of the earth is banished. Desolation is left in the city. The gates are battered into ruins. For thus it shall be in the midst of the earth among the nations as when an olive tree is beaten as at the gleaning when the grape harvest is done. So, man, it's just a a series of metaphors. um, and, And, like, they come at you so fast. And it's it's so sad and and mourning the the way that it's all described. It's just you know it's like all the color is going to get sucked out of, of the earth. It's like all all the things that would make you happy. All the music is going to mm-hmm. stop, right? All the joy is gone. Like the way that you know you get to the bottom of a bottle of wine and it's just there's nothing left. Um, it, it very very powerful series of of images. Yeah, the the celebration that was being enjoyed by the people in the midst of whatever they were doing, the Lord has removed. And it's and it's partly reminded me of, of two things immediately as as I read through this. One was the statement that Jesus made about the contrast between him and John the Baptist. You know, uh, he, he was out in the wilderness eating locusts and honey and, and you 
complained because he wouldn't come and dance with you and drink wine, and here I am right. eating and drinking, and you complain because I do that. It doesn't matter which way right. humans do it. They, they aren't satisfied. But the other thing that came to me was the idea that when the harvest is completed, the earth is brown and empty, and you right. drive through the place where there used to be these beautiful fields and in our community, right. soybeans or corn or perhaps hay. Earlier in the year would have been wheat. And now you drive right. by and all this there is stubble and dry earth. It It's almost depressing to me to drive through these fields uh, and right. see that harvest gone. And and this this is worse because this is a curse that devours the earth. And verse 6 makes it very clear. Its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. It's yeah, guilt that has brought this curse upon the earth. Right. This is this isn't like a, you know, some just kind of random calamity. Like you know, it's just a, a big a big famine that's just kind of happened because of the fluctuations of meteorological mm-hmm. you know phenomena or something like that. I mean, this is this is judgment. Make no mistake about it. And. Yeah, I mean, that image, right, of, uh, you know, you beat the olive tree to get the olives off of it, right? And then there's just a few left, you know, maybe a couple in in the highest uh, branches. But And we've seen that language earlier in Isaiah, the idea that maybe there will be two or three left or four or five left, but that's all. Or, you know, uh, the the gleaning, right? It's like you've done the grape harvest and all you're doing is just scrounging for leftovers, right? There's nothing there. The gleaners have already picked up the leftovers. And and what we're doing now is an exercise in futility, to use the phrase that others have used. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and um, and also, you know, it's so in this way, it's this the way it describes how like the feasting comes to an end. The merrymaking ceases, right? The music mm-hmm. stops playing, right? Uh, it, it's in that way, I feel like it's very similar to the last couple of chapters. Like we saw this in the Oracle concerning Tyre, how, you know, it's, they're described as, you know, just, I don't know, ce- like celebrating. There, there's that, um, I think the word is exultant that's used, right? And so there they are, yeah. exultant with mm-hmm. all their wealth, right? But no more. Um, and in chapter 22, we had that, you know, hey, why are you up on the housetops and shouting and exulting? And you say, you know, hey, let's feast, you know. And so it really it really kind of follows the, that pattern of the last couple of chapters of this idea of uh, there, there's this celebration that's going on. And it's not that God hates celebrating, right? Like God hates the no, party. No, that's not it. it, it it's, it's that the, the party has been going on for all the wrong reasons um, and that this was not the moment for it. And so now God's going to have to, you know, force us to <laughs> reckon with that. Yeah, but it's the 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 uh, the idea that as verse eleven is translated in the English Standard, the gladness of the earth is banished; it's gone, because the gladness right. wasn't from God; it was from no. God's created gifts, which were used in place of God or used to replace God. And once right. those are gone, there's no lasting joy. And, right. And this yeah, is, it was a. Yeah. This is the judgment. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. false, yeah, false, false Thanksgiving, a false celebration. Yeah. Uh, yeah one, the one that was done in vain, in idolatry. Exactly. Well, I, you know, with uh, <clears throat> with the kind of weird schedule we're on for today, I, I'm not sure like how we're going to doing on time wise, but I think it's about time for our break. So that'd be correct. We'll try to make up. 
We'll make up for our time maybe on the second half of the hour. But everybody, hang with us, and Lord willing, no more technical problems. We're here looking at Isaiah 24 on Thy Strong Word. Lord willing, we'll be right back. This is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week, you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in, and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. If your heart is full of light, then your eyes shine with generosity and grace, and your body follows the light. If your heart is full of darkness, then your eyes are obscured with fear and greed, and the rest of you follows suit. Dr. Michael Ziegler, this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Orazio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 24, and we're reading today with Pastor Stephen Tice, pastor from Frona, Missouri, looking at this chapter with us. And we were just reading these first 13 verses here, and I wanted to circle back around and particularly zoom in on verse 5, because there was a phrase in there which I thought was pretty interesting. You know, uh, the first part there, you know, the earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes. Uh, I think that makes sense. It's the idea that, you know, there's been wickedness, there's been law-breaking, there's been criminal activity, there's just been violations of morality, which everybody knows, and that kind of baseline, basic morality is there in, in every culture, mm-hmm. um, even, even despite all the different kind of nuances and legal codes and whatnot. But then there's this phrase, they have broken the everlasting covenant. And that that stood out to me. And it's something that it's actually picked up in a number of commentaries too. But I mean, that's kind of interesting to talk about a covenant Mm-hmm. Not with necessarily just God's people, but with the whole of the created world here. So what what do you think no. that's, that's getting at here in Isaiah 24? Well, part of that is God made this promise to uh, Noah's family when they came off the, the ark and walked on the land again. That he would never again destroy the earth by a flood, and he put his bow in the right. sky. But he also right. made this statement, summer and winter, seed time and harvest shall not fail. 
so that there's no need to worry about whether we will have enough. God has promised he will continually provide. So we don't need to be, for lack of, lack of a better word, hoarding or grabbing for ourselves. And so this covenant of, of interactive relationship, both with the creation and with the rest of people in creation, is one that God has made, that he will constantly provide, but people continually violate God's gifting by grabbing for themselves and not sharing. And that's that's part of mm-hmm. this covenant. Interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. I mean, like, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, of course, the, the idea of of uh, preserving us from a flood kind of goes, it goes thematically well with the idea of God giving us seasonable weather, mm-hmm. um, which, of course, leads to everything else that goes along with that. The, the thing I was wondering about um I mean, because you, you look at like what, what's explicitly said in Genesis chapter nine. Because I was, I was looking at Genesis nine beforehand as we were looking sure. at this. Um, you know, like so, what this covenant that God gives? You know, what does He explicitly say in Genesis chapter nine to uh, to do or, or to not do? And as far as I could tell, looking at Genesis nine in terms of the specific, like if there's a covenant in the sense of like, okay, this is what I'm going to do as God. This is what you were going to do as humanity. Mm-hmm. It seems like he's got two things that he says. He, one is uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the other is uh, basically don't eat, um, don't eat meat with blood in it. I mean, don't, don't eat the blood. Right. I mean, he does say, you know, things like, you know, you're allowed to eat, uh, you're allowed to eat animal meat. He does say, yeah, you know, there's going to be a, a reckoning for whoever mm-hmm. sheds blood but that's kind of all just kind of, I don't know, it's just kind of things that God's setting up. In terms of commands, it's be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and and don't eat, you know, don't eat blood, basically. So I, I was just thinking about that, like, huh, is is, is perhaps the violation here um, of this, like, covenant of Noah? Because it actually is interesting. It uses that phrase, the everlasting covenant, mm-hmm. that you have that actual same phrase there. Um, in Genesis chapter nine, that there is this um, where 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 was it here? In Genesis chapter nine, it's uh, he he mentions the word covenant several times, and then mm-hmm. in verse sixteen, he says, "When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth." Right. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So I was like wondering and thinking to myself, is is there somehow a violation of of filling the earth or multiplying or I don't I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's tied. It's also tied to the idea of of death and killing other humans. God says the shedding of man's blood he will require. And then he says both of beasts and of humans. And there's no doubt that the nations of the earth, whether it's Tyre or Babylon or Egypt, have all been actively engaged in shedding blood. And they've been doing it in some cases for selfish gain. And, you know, historically, you can debate the topic of whether some of the wars were defensive or what. But the point is, all of them were guilty at one point of invalidly taking human life. And Israel... The same thing. Our nation today, we see it happening in a variety of different ways, whether it's person-to-person violence or the death and destruction that's 
covered up as, as as if it were simple medical treatment for someone when in fact it's the taking of a life and and yet it's protected by law will god ignore that i i can't see that it's possible he will right well that's certainly true i uh, it's interesting to consider. I, I'm wondering to myself right now as I'm kind of reflecting back, you know, we had these covenant, uh, not covenants, these oracles against Egypt, against Jerusalem, um, against, you know, uh, why Arabia, Duma, and all the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, how many of these oracles kind of specifically mentioned murder, you know, or, or you know, the shedding of blood? And I, I think they were there. There, there were there were a few that that mentioned, you know, blood on their hands. Mm-hmm. Well, I think when I, when I think back on it, though, I think that the bigger theme, even bigger than that, was was the oppression of the powerless and the taking advantage of people and, and like the greed aspect of it. And, and I wonder, I wonder if properly speaking, what we're not, ta- we're, not we're not necessarily talking about. Uh, Genesis chapter 9 per se, the covenant with Noah, but we're to be understanding this actually as the covenant that goes back to Genesis chapter 1. Um, and uh, even though it's it, it's kind of more implicit there, the idea is that, you know, God's making, when he makes all of creation, when he makes the world in those six days, he's making a covenant with the world to be, to be the cr- creator and caretaker of what he mm-hmm. has made. And that we are to be what? We're, we are to be uh, in the image of God and that we are to have dominion over the whole earth, right? And we are supposed to be exercising this dominion and we are supposed to be representing God to the creation here. And, and yeah, we are supposed to like be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, which is exactly what they didn't do at Babel. And right. instead, mm-hmm. and instead, as it introduces here in verse 2, instead of exercising dominion properly, what do we do with dominion? We, as masters, take slaves, and as um, and as I guess uh, lenders, we we basically enslave borrowers. As creditors, mm-hmm. we take advantage of debtors. That we have basically taken the dominion that God was supposed to uh, that we were supposed to use to represent God. Instead, we've used it to dominate and abuse, take advantage of each other. And in that sense, we've violated the covenant that God made with humanity from the very beginning, which was, which was the covenant that was renewed in Genesis chapter nine. Mm-hmm. But ultimately it's just, it's, it's going all the way back to the whole reason why humanity was made. Yeah. This, this interaction between human beings before sin came into the world was meant to, and that's where the instruction is given prior to sin to be the ones who have the dominion over the created world so that it is multiplying it is fruitful it is maintained and again the whole idea of of greed and self service that comes right. out comes out of these previous oracles and and curses that god is proclaiming is all just the consistent outcome of fallen sinful right. humanity putting itself at the center well, and, and putting itself at the center in pride, and pride is one of the, I mean, that that has been a theme that we've seen big time in all of these oracles against the nations. Mm-hmm. I mean, bringing the proud low, yes. bringing those who are high and exalted down to the ground and down into Sheol, you know, that's been a repeated theme. And we're going to see that actually in, in the second half of Isaiah, 
But going back to, you know, just think about it, right? As you were mentioning, you know, that, that pre-fall state of humanity, there we are. We are given the image of God to represent mm-hmm. God, to fill the earth, right? Yeah. As, as humble stewards, as representatives of God. And then what's the temptation? The temptation is instead of to be representatives of God, to be like God, to make ourselves be God. We don't want to be just representatives. We don't want to be stewards. Let's just kick God out and we'll be the, we'll be the gods then, right? That, that's the temptation mm-hmm. that you get in Eden. That's the temptation that you get at Babel when everyone's like, oh, we're going to build this tower and it's going to go up to the heavens and we'll be make like God. Make a name for ourselves, yeah. Make a name for ourselves, right? So. Yeah. So this this fundamentally, you know, is a rejection of being um, the image of God, wanting to be gods ourselves instead, instead of proclaiming God's name to the creation, making a name for ourselves, instead of filling the earth and humbly serving all of the rest of creation, instead concentrating ourselves together for our own self-aggrandizement. I mean, it it seems like it just it, it goes one well through Babylon as we've kind of made these connections here mm-hmm. through through Babel um, and then Babylon in, in um, chapter 13, but then also just going back to the creation and what it means to be a human being, um, an, someone, in, an image bearer of God. Yeah, the, the uh, whole idea that um, the, the phrase, the Latin term incurvatus means yeah. you curved yeah. in or curled up in yourself, you're so self-focused, you're actually... As, as I read that recently, I was thinking it's almost like going back to the fetal position where the whole world is about me and I don't have an right. awareness of or a concern for anything outside of myself. And, and the way to get away from that, of course, is to open up and spread out and move away. Uh, as right. God says, to fill the earth rather than to fill yourself. And that's the challenge. Yeah, that's that's actually a very that's a that's a I really like that idea there. That that's kind of like where we start off, you know, as as babies in the womb, but then we're developing, and it's like it's okay for the baby to be like that because the baby is going in the right direction, right? Mm-hmm. The baby is is growing and developing, and as that baby grows and develops, you know, it's uh, it, it becomes less and less self-absorbed. It becomes less and less selfish and eventually learns to become a, a mother or a father, um, you know, itself, that it's going to be, mm-hmm. you know, like a, like a, a caregiver, a, a selfless caregiver, a parent, right? Right. Uh, but but that's interesting, right, to be, you know, incurvatus in say, right, to be curved in on yourself. It's like we're instead of developing the way God wants us to, it's like we're, we're going back and we're going right. backwards mm-hmm. and we're going back to being children. We're going back to being babies. We're going back to being babies in the womb. And then, I mean, eventually what, right? I mean, we, we, we know from science, like you go all the way back to being a single celled organism. <laughs> yep. I mean, what, that, that, that single cell that we all started off as, right. And before that, uh, not life at all. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like there's something about sin that's almost like trying to rewind itself and undo itself and bring yeah. itself back to the unliving elements from which we were made, bringing ourselves to dust. Right. And, and ultimately that's, that's what death is. It brings us back to nothing. Right. Yep. The, yeah, the, the nothing from whence, from whence we came, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really, I appreciate that. It's a very provocative image. I'll have to kind of keep, keep thinking about. Um, I want to make sure that we include some of these other images that we get in the rest of the chapter. And like I was mentioning here, we were talking about, you know, 
humbling the proud, you know, who want to lift themselves up to mm-hmm. the heavens. Well, there's a mention of that later about the heavens here. So we, we should get there. Let's read the second half of the chapter now um, and, and try to make, make something up, especially the, these last several uh, verses in the Hebrew. So her picking up at uh, verse 14. They lift up their voices. They sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord. They shout from the West. Therefore in the East, give glory to the Lord and the coastlands of the sea. Give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth, we hear songs of praise of glory to the righteous one. But I say, I waste away. I waste away. Woe is me for the traitors have betrayed with betrayal. The traitors have betrayed terror and the pit and the Nair are upon you, O inhabitants of the earth. He who flees at the sound of the terror shall fall into the pit, and he who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For the windows of heaven are opened, and the foundations of the earth tremble. The earth is utterly broken. The earth is split apart. The earth is violently shaken. The earth staggers like a drunken man. It sways like a hut. Its transgression lies heavy upon it, and it falls, and it will not rise again. On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. And they will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison. And after many days, they will be punished. Then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion in Jerusalem and his glory will be before his elders. Yeah, this this section, uh, again... As, as I was reading it and reflecting on it, starts with those giving thanks that, that God has, yeah. has brought judgment and, and that the righteous one rules ultimately. Yeah. Yes. And, and then Isaiah's contrast says, no, no, I, I'm still looking at all the destruction and it's terrible. Right. And right. As, as you work your way through this section, the terror, the pit, the snare, the, the one, you know, it's, it reminds me of God's words to Elijah. He says, go anoint Elisha, and everybody he doesn't take care of, you know, we'll get the, the kings will... Oh, right. The, yep. the Lord says, I'm going to do it. I'll do it at the right time. Don't worry, it'll happen. But but here we have this comment that the windows of heaven are open, the flood, the foundations of the earth tremble, earthquakes. Right. This, this, yeah, that sounds, like, that sounds like the flood of Noah, right? Absolutely. Yep. And then during the, the time of the prophets, the earthquakes are referred to on several occasions as as reminders that God's judgment is coming. And of course when mm-hmm. Jesus dies, right. there's the earthquake that that right. happens. So there's this constant reminder that that the world is affected by God's judgment. But the the very end of this section where it talks about the moon confounded, the sun ashamed. Right. Well, those those are talking about those objects going back to Genesis 1, that God created to regulate the sun, regulates the day, the moon regulates the night. They don't create light. Right. They're distributors of light. The light comes from God. It's one of those fascinating... They're they're stewards of the light. Yeah, they are. And and what will return, and now I'm back to Revelation again, chapter 21 and 22, there's no longer the need for those things because God is reigning on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. And there were the 24 elders gathered around the throne. I mean, you know, to me, this is a 
a, a jump into Revelation, obviously, that isn't necessarily right. isn't necessarily picked up on right away. But the Lord will punish the hosts of heaven in heaven and right. the kings of the earth on the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. Again, these terms come right out of God's revelation to Isaiah of the future judgment. Right. And then we find it yeah, again. You know, Isaiah... Yeah, I, I think you're right. Isaiah is very apocalyptic here. I think mm-hmm. that in a few places we've seen that Isaiah kind of, um, I mean, it's kind of going in that apocalyptic direction. It's not like quite like what you have in like Daniel or Revelation, but here he gets pretty close. And mm-hmm. and um and then towards the end, especially like you were mentioning too, that all this stuff about being gathered together in the pit and being shut up in the prison and being punished. I mean. Wow, that sounds just like that stuff in, in Revelation about, um, you know, the lake of fire and the, uh, Satan being chained, right, in the mm-hmm. pit until that time at the end when he is finally judged, right? Right. I mean, I mean here, here it is, right? Here back in Isaiah mm-hmm. chapter 24, um, this this kind of apocalyptic setting already here. And, um, and, and, and it does kind of go back, I think, because of the way it is just so cosmic and it goes all the way back to genesis one and you were mentioning like the sun and the moon and how that's that's interesting how in the same way that for a time you know um, and this is this is just so interesting we had ruth as our old testament reading this past sunday right. and i was just i was just thinking about that like you know it ruth it begins it says in the days of the judges right mm-hmm. so this is before the kings and and it's interesting because who's who's the uh, the kind of the first guy under the scene? It's Elimelech, whose name means my and God, God is, is King. Yeah, right. I, I mean, mm-hmm. and, and that's that's something you see in Samuel and Kings. The idea that well, God's the King, so why would you need a king, right? Why yep. would you need a king? God doesn't need to have a king representing him. He can just be the king himself, right? And so similarly here, there's this idea that you know the sun and the moon. They're kind of like 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 kings kind of like stewards like representatives mm-hmm. as you were saying in the end you don't actually need them if god can just be the king if god can just be the light himself directly yeah and he and he is that to us and jesus says then to his his body the church that our role is to be light in this world now and, and right. this is you know it, again, like the, the moon reflects light that the sun distributes, well, the Son of God distributes God's light to his church, his body, and now we are reflecting that in the world. It doesn't come from us, but it comes through us, and and it comes because God has brought judgment, and that judgment, right. I, I often I struggle with this concept because I'm a human being living confined with the idea of beginning and end and time god isn't god is not bound by these things so often in scripture we hear god describing eternity as a snapshot yes And, and we just can't grasp that concept so god has to break it down into other phrases for us but part of what's shown here is the the beginning and the end the everlasting covenant and the judgment and and they're they're both tied together in Isaiah 24, and and then the idea from the idea of earthquakes, for instance. I mentioned Jesus right. Jesus' death, but the other earthquake in the New Testament that gets a good deal of attention is Philippi, when Paul's in prison and there's a there's mm. an earthquake. Right. And what happens right. then? 
the word is shared right. and salvation mm-hmm. occurs. So exactly yeah so god god using these sorts of disasters right like mm-hmm. for the advancement of the gospel and working good from the evil i mean and that's what you see here that it, it, it's interesting I, I liked what you were saying you know like i i think you know god's people we recognize that when god works judgment it's because it's just and that good things are going to be worked from it right but it's interesting mm-hmm. right it's like it's like in verses 14 and 15 um and 16 there it's it's like uh it's like the the joy is a little bit premature isaiah right. like okay yes you, it's it, you will you will have good time and opportunity ample opportunity to celebrate justice and judgment of god okay but too soon too mm-hmm. soon right right now yeah. we are mourning the disaster like we saw back in the moab or, uh, oracle when it was just so um so poignant there that you know god himself is mourning the disaster that he has wrought over the earth. He doesn't do it with, with a, with a grin on his face. No. Right. And so our, 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 in the first place we mourn and this, this Oracle of judgment should not cause dread, fear and despair, but it should, it should be a call for mourning that there would be mm-hmm. judgment on, on, you know, all of the earth. And even as it says there, the host of heaven, which is a very dramatic way. It seems to be talking about, even the spiritual powers that are going on, right? The the, place, the the powers in the heavenly places, like Paul says, like our first reaction should not be, you know, uh, giddy glee, mm-hmm. right? But it should be it should be mourning over the calamity. Um, though, of course, you know, later there will be. I mean, more more than enough time, you know, time even after ten thousand years, like the old hymn says, right? Mm-hmm. To to celebrate, but in the first place, mourning. Yeah, and this is this is again. I'm reminded of of the event of Jesus going out with Mary and Martha to the grave of Lazarus. Jesus yeah. weeps. Jesus knows he's going to raise him from the dead. He knows that he will win eternal life for him, and yet he weeps at the death of his friend. It it's it's a need to be expressed that sin brings death and corruption. Not not rejoice that somebody encounters it, but weep that it had that impact on anyone right well and in seeing ourselves in it seeing that you know when god judges the nations of the earth it's i mean he's judging humanity and right. i am a human being i'm mm-hmm. part of creation and so for for my part in all this you know big global mess right absolutely like I, I, re- yes. I recognize my part in it and and I, and I mourn and it's not a hopeless mourning because we know that you know if we if we uh if confess our sin, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sin in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's part, of, it's part of the need to truly be human. We mourn suffering, even that of others. Even though we might say it's deserved, we still weep that the brokenness touches people. And, and right. Christ's promise is he'll make all things new, and we live in this tension of now and not yet. We have the promise, but we haven't got the full enjoyment of it at this moment in time. Right. That's, that's right. There will there will be a time. And then, you know, after all this time of the wine running out and mm-hmm. the tambourines being silenced, there will be a time for music and gladness and feasting and wine in the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom. Yeah. Um, but, but until then, our prayers come, Lord Jesus, and we are at the foot of the cross. Um, they're trusting in the in the mercies of of his wounds by which we are healed. So, yep. goodness. Well, thank you, thank you, brother. I appreciate you hanging in there oh, with thank me. And you. I, and thank thank God that hey, we were able to make it. So-
to the end of the hour without any further difficulties. Yep. So, uh, thank the you. The Lord is good. Pleasure just, yeah, the Lord is good. I appreciate that that image again of uh, being uh, in, in the womb. I'll have to ponder that some more. But uh, until next time, brother. Auf Wiedersehen. Everybody, that was Pastor Stephen Tice, pastor from Frona, Missouri. Thanks for joining us today and bearing with us despite everything going on. We thank also our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Check them out, lhfmissions.org. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Until next time, peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.